Speak, Lord, and I will obey. That was a new song to me. Thank you very much. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, please follow along as I read verses 1 through 13. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, which I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace God given, excuse me, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your joy. This morning in the message, we first of all uh, defined the word mystery. We saw that it is not something that is just kind of hard to understand, a little mysterious. It's also not something that is like a typical mystery program you might watch on TV or a movie or a book. We saw that in the scriptures, especially here in the epistles, the mystery refers to a, previous, a previously hidden truth that God chose to reveal at a certain time. And in this particular chapter, it's the mystery of the church, Jews and Gentiles, one body in Christ. Then we saw this morning a couple of things about the man who was the author of this book here and the one who told about the mystery. His name is the Apostle Paul. And we saw two things about him this morning. First of all, we saw that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was not a prisoner of Jesus Christ in the sense that we would think perhaps of a person being a prisoner. But first of all, he was a, for, for doing something wrong, he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ because he was in prison for preaching the gospel. It's the only reason he was in prison, for his preaching the gospel. And he was also in prison because he was a captive of Jesus Christ. He was completely sold out to Jesus Christ. His will was wrapped up in the will of God. And whatever God has for me, it'll be just fine, Paul said. Now he's in jail He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Then we saw this morning that Paul was not complaining. He was not murmuring or griping or, or uh, grumbling. Uh, he was not in depression. He was not angry because he knew that he was where he was by the will of God and because of the grace of God. Because the grace of God was a the main theme with the Apostle Paul. It was the story of his life. It was the story of his salvation, his call to ministry, his success in ministry, his enablement in ministry, and also it was the, it was the, the basis of everything that he taught. All he taught was, the, was centered uh, around the, the or focused on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was really, really big in his teaching in the scripture. So tonight we want to go on, tonight go forward with a couple more things about Paul that we can learn from this passage of scripture and things that we can apply to our lives, lesson we can learn from our lives from observing what he says here about himself. So number three tonight, Paul was called into his ministry personally by Jesus Christ and therefore his ministry was authoritative. Paul knew what he was by the grace of God, and he knew that he was that because it was the will of God for his life. If you will, please look at verse 2. He says, if you have heard, let's read 1 and 2 together. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. And then he goes on, as we said, to explain more about that. That word dispensation is a key word here. 
Usually when we think of Bible studies or doctrine or theology, when we think of dispensation, we think about an era of time, a period of time. Somebody says, well, I'm a dispensationalist, but maybe I'm not an ultra-dispensationalist. And somebody else says, I don't even know what that means, okay? It's kind of like all of biblical history and human history broken up into different periods of time, different dispensations. That really is not the meaning of dispensation here in verse 2 when he says, you have heard of my dispensation of the grace of God. The word dispensation here means literally stewardship or administration or management. It comes actually from two words, house and to take care of. It's to take care of a house. It's to be a manager. It's management, administration, or a key word here is stewardship. In other words, Paul says, I am an official messenger called of God to be a messenger. What did he say? In many of the epistles that he wrote, he, he begins by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In another epistle, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You read that a few times, you think, you know what? Paul was convinced that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ because it wasn't his own plan. It was not his own calling. God had called him to be an apostle. And so he speaks of himself as being one who was entrusted with a ministry entrusted with a responsibility, entrusted with a message to deliver. And therefore, as he's entrusted with something, he basically is a steward. It speaks of stewardship, administration, carrying out that which God has called you to do, and management that which God has given to you to manage. And so he is confident that the message that he's delivering, as we'll mention in our next point, he knows it's authoritative, he knows it's the word of God, but right now we're simply looking at the fact that he is doing what God has called him to do. He is a manager for God. He's entrusting what God has entrusted to him. He is simply serving as a faithful steward of that which is given to him, especially in context here now, as God had called him to be one to whom he could entrust this mystery and could therefore deliver it to God's people. So he is entrusted with the ministry of this one body, Jew and Gentile, in Christ. And it's not his job now just to take it for himself and say, well, thank you, Father. But he's entrusted with that truth to deliver to others, to go out into the world and proclaim. So we have a lesson here of application. Very simply tonight, what has God entrusted to you to manage? What has God put under your care? What are you supposed to be an administrator of? What has God entrusted to you? What spiritual gift has he entrusted to you? We'll not take time tonight to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 11 and 12 there, and Romans chapter 12, or 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, and again Romans chapter 12. But we have there the subject of spiritual gifts over also in 1 Peter, that God has entrusted to every believer at least one or more spiritual gifts. They're not the same for all people. It's like a body. You have a body, one body with many different parts. So also different gifts making up the body, people in the body. But we should know what is our spiritual gift. And our, God has entrusted that to us. It for him. Spiritual gifts. What about talents? Individual talents. What about abilities? You know, somebody said, I think it was Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, uh, I'm only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, by the will of God, I will do. That's really good. I'm only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, by the grace of God, I will do. 
So whatever abilities, whatever talents God has given to us, if he entrusts those things to us, and he expects us to be a good administrator, a good manager of those things, and it, and it does involve our talents. And I walk in here on Sunday night, and I see Daniel up here playing his trumpet. I see Michael playing his trombone. I see these ladies over here playing the piano, and the choir comes up here to sing. And all of you folks, the things that you do in the ministry here, you know, it's like if God has given you an ability, if God has given you a talent, you ought to use it for the Lord. You ought to use it for him. I struggled with that just a little bit this morning. I know I'm not the greatest soloist in the world. I'm not gifted as a soloist, so to speak. I mean, I do know some music. I've been in music all my life, all my life. I have a college degree in music and in Bible. I understand those things. But when I think of getting up to sing a solo, I think I don't need to sing a solo. Somebody else can do that. And this morning I said, well, I'll just fill in and sing. I thought, and as I told you, I said, no, I don't like to sing before I preach. It's kind of like I do everything in the service. And then I thought, you know, Larry, that's a bad attitude. I'm talking to myself at breakfast. I'm saying that's a bad attitude. I mean, at least you can sing. So why don't you get up and use your talent for the Lord? Why don't you build it? God give you the ability. I remember back in, when I was in 7th and 8th and ninth grade, I sang in the Children's Bible Hour back in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That was a radio broadcast that was pretty well known, as you know. At that time, it was on over 500 stations. And I remember Aunt Bertha, Aunt B, the director of Children's Bible Hour, she used to just drill it. I mean, she would drill it in our, in our minds as children and young people. She'd say, listen, she'd say, listen, use it or lose it. Boys and girls, use your talents or lose them. Young people, use it or lose it. Now, Children's Bible Hour, when you got to be 16 years old, you graduated, you were out. It was not teen Bible Hour, it was Children's Bible Hour. So you had a big graduation when you were 16 years old. So I was out of the Children's Bible Hour when I was 16. But until that time, we just heard all the time, listen, whatever God has given you, use it for his glory. Use it or lose it. That's one reason we want our children and our young people that we're having these children's nights now. God has given you an ability to play the piano, then play it for the Lord. You know, the devil would be glad to take your talent, amen? You sing, sing for the Lord. Want our boys and girls and young people, whatever God has given you, what ability, use it for the Lord. You're entrusted with that. It's, it's a gift from God. Talents, abilities, ministry opportunities. Oh, this is timely. Tonight after church, a meeting for everybody who might could help in vacation Bible school. You say, well, I don't know if I'm interested in that. Really? Well, maybe I don't know if there's anything for me to do. Well, come find out. Well, what if they ask me to do something I don't know how to do? Well, then tell them you don't know how to do that. You do something else. But, I mean, if you're, if you're available and you're willing, then volunteer. Go to the meeting. And if you're not needed, then fine. Or if there's nothing that you can do that's available, then fine. At least you say, I'm willing to serve if I'm needed. It's using our abilities for the Lord. Taking advantage of service opportunities. Financial resources. Everybody doesn't have the same amount of money. Everybody doesn't have the same needs regarding their money. Everybody's not the same age. Whatever, whoever you are, whatever your situation is, are you interested in using the resources that God has given to you to manage them for the Lord? To when God has entrusted that to you, then you give it back to the Lord. Say, look, it's really not mine. It's just, it's yours. You've entrusted it. You've, you've, you've trusted me to have this. So, Father, what do you want to do with my giving? It's just all the same. Paul's talking about this dispensation of this mystery that was given to him to not only take from the Lord, but to give it out. To give it out, it was part of the call, the call of God upon his life. God has entrusted you with children. Then rear them for the Lord. Give them back to the Lord. God has entrusted you with a good job. Then work hard. Just serve the Lord. Be faithful in whatever he calls you to do. There's something else I want to mention here. Notice, if you will, please look at verse 2 again. 
He says, you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. And we won't go down through this passage, but there's two other times where Paul indicates, listen, he is what he is because God has called him to do that. It was given to him by God. And I want to mention, I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you choosing your own occupation? Are you choosing your own calling? Are you choosing your own career? As I mentioned earlier in the scriptures, Paul says, Paul an apostle by the will of God. Paul did not choose his own occupation. He did not choose his own calling. He did not choose his own career. His calling, his career was given to him by God. And I know this is, this is a subject I could preach a series on. In fact, I've written a, a small book on how to know the will of God for your life. I used to teach when I was a youth pastor. I used to teach seminars on how to know the will of God for your life. Teach conferences. So it's not like a five-minute thing in an evening service. But uh, God does not call everyone to full-time Christian service, but he does call some. The important thing is not, are you called into full-time Christian service? The important thing is, are you doing what God has called you to do? I'm, sitting, I'm standing here tonight preaching, and I see all kinds of people with all kinds of different occupations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I thank God for you. For the abilities that he's giving, I think of Stephen. I shouldn't pick Stephen out, but working on transmissions. Can you see Pastor Carsey's working on transmissions? Would that be a joke or what? But you know, if that's what God, if that's the ability God gave me, then I could do that. Amen? I think of Matt over there. IT guy, a tech guy. When I have a tech problem, I call him. And I, when he comes in my office and sits down in my chair, I say, Matt, thank you so much for coming. Now, please don't explain to me what you're doing. Just fix it. You don't have to go step by step by step and tell me what you're doing. You know why? Because it'll slow you down. You got a wife and kids, man. They're a lot more important than your preacher right now. And frankly, I won't understand what you're telling me anyway, so just fix it. And he does. Fixes it fast. I say, thank you very much. Out the door he goes, praise the Lord. I'm not going through any more of you. I probably could stand outside of Chick-fil-A and take orders. Amen, guys? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cook out there in the hot sun. I think I could say, my pleasure. I think I could do that real well, okay? There's some things I could do easier than others, but there's some things that I just can't do, okay? So what is your job? Are you there because you know God has called you there? You're there because you know this is what God wants you to do right now. And by the way, you may have some opportunities there for Christ that I don't even, I'll never have as a pastor. In an office someplace, in a factory someplace, <laughs> out there at Chick-fil-A. I mean, wherever you are, you will come across a lot of people I will never meet. You have opportunities I will never have. There's so many different ways we can serve the Lord if we just get serious about saying, get serious about saying, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And I love the verse there in Psalm, Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. God will have a way of taking your desires and meshing them with his desires as you delight yourself in the Lord, as you put him first in your life. And I quoted Wednesday night, again, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. I think our problem today is, for the most part, we tend to be a little selfish self-centered, as we go up through kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, up through elementary school, and then pretty soon into junior high, and then we're heading down the senior high trail, and suddenly for the first time in our life, it's like, you know, I better get serious about what I'm going to be. I better get serious because I'm really getting close to graduation. 
And I don't know what goes through your mind at that time. I know what I thought when I was in high school. I know it started when I was in the ninth grade. And the longer I was in school, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, I knew it was very, I'm just speaking to myself now, I knew it was obvious for me God wanted me in some type of gospel ministry. I didn't know if it was a pastor. I didn't know if it was an evangelist. I didn't know if it was a missionary. I didn't know if it was a youth director. I didn't know if it was a Christian camp director. I didn't know if it was a, a music director or music and youth or associate pastor. I had no clue, but I knew that God wanted me to train to serve him someplace and I had no idea where I was going to college. And I was, this was in June after I graduated. But I know one thing, my heart was open to the Lord. If that's what you want for my life, that would be wonderful. You direct, I'll follow. And I didn't have a whole idea about the future. I just knew right then that was a decision. But I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that I would, I would, I would kneel by my bed every night. And I would ask the Lord to please speak to me and show me where did he want me to go to college? What did he want me to major in? And I know I've told you this before. I would pray and I would, I would go into silence and listen. I would wait for him to tell me, but he never spoke out loud. I got no idea, and I would do this night after night. Father, you know I'm surrendered to you. Where do you want me to go to college, university? What do you want me to major in? What do you want me to be? I'm open to you, Father. Please show me. And I'd get real quiet again, and I'd wait. And I went to my pastor one day, and I told him what I just told you. And Pastor Wood said, what would you expect him to do? Well, I expect him to tell me. Well, Larry, how's he going to tell you? I said, never thought about that. And he gave me some really good suggestions, and God led in my life. Paul said, if you have heard of the dispensation the administration, the stewardship that you've entrusted to me, the grace of God which has given me to you, word. So tonight, are you choosing your life's calling, whatever it is, or are you open to the Lord to lead you in that? And then fourthly tonight, Paul had received the mystery by direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't just called to be the Lord's messenger. Paul was called with a message to deliver. He received his message directly from the Lord. Again, look at verses 3, 4, and 5. I'll read it with 2. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So notice right there back in verse 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. God told him his truth. He shared this truth with Paul. And then said, Paul, that's the message. Now you go deliver the message. That is really important. Because there would be people who would read what Paul wrote. And they would say, well, how do I know this is of God? How do I know this message is true? There's all kinds of people coming around preaching and teaching all kinds of things. So how do I know that what this man says is really the truth? He said, it is the truth because I didn't make it up myself and I didn't get it from anybody else. I got it directly from God. That's what he says in this passage. Does that remind us of another passage? We've got to go there. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Go back just a book to Galatians chapter 1. Paul gives his testimony in chapter 1. He begins this book with a very, very strong, strong statement. And about that time after he gives a statement, somebody says, okay, well then how do I know that this is true? So who are you to determine this? Paul says, let me tell you why. Look at Galatians 1 beginning at verse 6. 
I marvel, he says to these people in Galatia, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another. It's not good news, it's bad news. That there be some that trouble you and would pervert, pervert what? Please out loud, what does it say? You would pervert, they would pervert the gospel of Christ. This is all about the gospel. And that's what our text, remember this morning, it's all about the gospel, the good news, God's grace. Salvation by grace through faith plus nothing. And in Galatians now, it's all about, you know, these legalizers coming in and saying, well, you got to work to get saved and work to stay saved. And Paul said, that is another gospel. It's a corrupt gospel. It's not good news. It's bad news. It's perverted news. So he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, you get this now? Though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be what? Accursed, condemned, damned. As we said before, so say it now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And look what comes next. You say, well, how do you know, Paul? How do you know you got the truth? Nobody else does. How do you know you're, pre how do you know you're proclaiming the true gospel? And you're telling, me, you're telling us now that these other guys are proclaiming a false gospel. It's not good news. It's bad news. They are perverting the gospel. So what authority do you have to say that? What right do you have to say that? Look what he says. But I certify you, brethren. This is powerful. Look at this. This goes right along with our text tonight in, in Ephesians 3. He said, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Really? Yeah. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by man. How? but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Would you agree that's pretty authoritative? What he preached, what he taught, and what he wrote that we read was received by Paul by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, for you have heard of my conversation, time, my manner of life, my behavior in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and I wasted. See, he, he meant, I mentioned it in two passages this morning. There it is again tonight. Paul never got over the fact that he was a rebel. He was a Christ hater. He didn't deserve anything. He said, oh, you've heard of my lifestyle in the past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my father's. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his what, folks? By his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately, he said, what did I do? I conferred not with flesh and blood other people. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia. I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But of the other apostles, saw I none. I didn't see any of them except James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. 
Afterwards, I came unto the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past, now he preaches the very faith that he once destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2, and we'll go back to Ephesians. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. Now, folks, you get the idea here? Paul said, I'm telling you, I'm writing, I'm preaching God's truth. Because Jesus Christ himself revealed it to me personally. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 3. And look again at verse 4. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4. It says in verses 3 and 4, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand. Understand what? My knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He said, you can understand what I'm proclaiming. You can understand where it came from. I understand what I'm proclaiming because I know where it came from. It is the authoritative word of God as given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, Paul was not the only one that received this message. He makes that clear in verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul was not alone in receiving this message. He wasn't the only one. Now, we know that back in the Old Testament, I've mentioned in the Old Testament, none of the prophets received this message about Jews and Gentiles being in the same body, being one. The mystery of the church, none of them received that. But when you come past Pentecost now, God, Paul wasn't the only one that God gave this message to. Paul says, no, no, I can't stand up and say, you know what, folks? I'm the only one God gave this message. Jesus Christ revealed this to me and no one else. By the way, watch out for any group. They're usually cults. Where the leader says, God gave a revelation to me and to me only. You better listen to me. You know what you need to do? Run. Just run. When somebody says, I'm the only one to whom God gave this revelation, and it is just as true as the word of God, you just get out of there as fast as you can get out of there. Paul said, I'm not the only one who got this revelation. I'm not the only one to whom God revealed this truth. He said he gave it unto the apostles and the prophets. It was known in the Old Testament that Gentiles would be saved one day. There were several times, several prophets in the Old Testament gave the message that there would come a day when people outside of Israel would hear the truth. They would hear the light. and They would receive the truth. But not this idea of a local church. I mean, and a universal church, rather, uh, both. E even the disciples in Christ's day did not understand that. And Jesus comes down the scene and says, Thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church. The rock of Peter's confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and everyone who believes Jesus Christ as God's Son, the Messiah, the living Messiah, the Christ, the, the anointed one, the one that God has chosen to come as our Savior. God says they're born again by the Spirit of God, and now they're one in Christ. So Paul could not say, just look at me. I'm the only one. Look what he says in verse 8. Unto me who am, here it is again, look at this. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given. 
that I should preach among the Gentiles what? The unsearchable riches in Christ. That word unsearchable is un untraceable, untrackable. It's just beyond, it's beyond our human comprehension, so to speak. We can, know, we can know a lot, but we can't know it all. There's no way we could ever understand all the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. So what's a lesson for us? My question tonight would be this. As you read the word of God, whether it's what Paul wrote, the epistles that he wrote, 13 for sure, maybe 14, or any other verse in the Bible, any other passage in the Bible, as you read the word of God, as you hear the word of God taught or preached, what goes through your mind? Do you think, you know, this is the authoritative, real message of God? This is God's truth. I don't think a lot of people think about that. I know I mention this often in preaching, but I do it on purpose. I think our, our attitude toward the Bible today is seen by how little or how much we read it, personally. I think it's seen by how serious we are about memorizing anything in the Bible. I think it's seen by how faithfully we attend a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night or a church service, a revival meeting, whatever. When the Word of God is taught and preached, I think faithfulness is really key. It's all about the Bible. Just coming to church, it ought to be all about the Bible. All about the scriptures. How often do we talk about the Bible to other people? How often do we think about the Bible at all during any given day? How often do we find ourselves quoting a phrase or a verse of the Bible because that's just, it's just what's in our minds. Our life is saturated with the Bible. It just comes out in our thinking. It just crosses our mind. It comes out in different conversations. It comes out in our planning, our desires. It comes out when, hey, listen, here comes something that somebody, this new movie's coming out. You gotta see this movie, it's really great. Now, when you, when you check out this new movie before you check it out or while you watch it, is your mind thinking, what does the Bible say about this? Anything in any, whoa. That's not something I should be seeing. Did I hear right? Did he say that? That's not, I shouldn't be listening to that. When you read a book, have you ever stopped reading a book because after the first two, three pages, or after a few pages, or a couple of chapters, you said, this is not for me. I've mentioned this before a long time ago. I thank God my, my daughter gave me a tablet for Christmas several years ago. I was so excited about getting that tablet. Man, I found out you could, you could select books on there to read. You could read it right there, and I'd have to go buy this book, man. That was big news for me. So I picked a book to read. I hadn't read five pages of that book. And I read plenty of four-letter words and some words that are not with four letters, but they're very vulgar. And I'm thinking, this is not for me. This book's not for me. Oh, do I think it would have been an interesting book? Do I think there's probably Christians that would read that? I don't care what other Christians do. i got to give my account to the Lord. I'm not going to be entertained by this book with a bunch of profanity and vulgar words. So I was like, you know, that book. Do you ever, do you ever, I'm not bragging, but do you, do you ever just quit reading a book because it wasn't what you thought? Do you ever turn off the TV program because it's not what you really expected? You ever quit watching a movie because you said, no, no, that, that, that does not match. Hey, I, several years ago, I told you this. Several years ago, when I was directing a high school choir here, junior high, senior high choir, we got into a discussion one day about, about movies. 
And young people start mentioning all these good movies. And Pastor Carson, this is really a good movie. This is really a good movie. You would not have any problem with this movie. And finally one day I said, you know what? Maybe I'm really missing out on some good movies. I don't watch a lot of movies, but man, if there's all good movies out there that I could enjoy, well, fine. I'll tell you what, bring me the name of a good movie. And man, did those teens have fun. They had so much fun bringing me their list of good movies. We narrowed it down to three. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I probably could still remember those three movies. And I said, now hold it. I said, I want you to know, young people, now, my wife and I are going to go, we're, we're going to watch this movie. I'm going to go down here to, remember Blockbuster Video Rentals? I'm going down to Blockbuster, and I'm going to, I'm going to rent. I'm going to rent these movies, and we're going to go home. And on Friday night, man, we're going to get out. She'll get out the popcorn. I'll get out some Rice Krispie treats or something. I'll be, but we're, we're going to watch the movie from beginning to end. We're going to watch it. So you still say it's okay. Oh, Pastor Carson, there'll be no problem with these. I'm telling you, folks, those were not good movies. The words were bad. Some scenes were bad. The whole spiritual teaching of one was absolutely against the Bible. And my heart was broken. I thought, these are good movies that every Christian can watch. I don't want to watch movies like this. I don't want our young people to watch movies like this. This is really sad. I mean, it, it, burned my, it broke my heart. And I'm thinking, these are the best ones? I can still remember some of those scenes in those movies. I can still remember some of the, said, the things that were said, some of those words. And I can still remember the teaching of one movie that was absolutely against the scriptures. And I thought, oh, man, if this is where we are, we got a problem. Now you say, Pastor, why, why are you mentioning this? This is what I had to compare it with. You have to compare things with the Bible. And you will never compare things with the Bible unless you are convinced that this is the only true word of the living God and that every single word is true. If it's true, would you agree? If it's true, then we ought to believe it, right? Would you say amen? If it's true, we ought to believe it. Now listen carefully. If it's true, then we ought to live it. We live it, not because somebody else agrees, not because somebody else sees it that way, not because somebody else is living it. No, if you want to go by survey, if you want to go by popular opinion, you can do just about anything today. You can read just about anything today. You can listen to just about anything today. You can watch anything today. You can go anywhere today. You can wear whatever today. I mean, if you want to go by popular opinion, then you're going to have to, you're going to, have to answer to God, but, but you got to go by this book, folks. And Paul says, listen, folks, this, what I'm teaching you is important. What I'm writing to you is vitally important. But I want you to know something. It's not just that God has called me to be an apostle and God has entrusted with me this message, but he said, I got this directly from the Lord. So you can listen to it. You can believe it. And you can live it. And that has to be the attitude. When I walk into this church on Sunday morning, the very first thing I do, walk around, make sure all the things I got to check before I come in. I cannot, I sit down in this class back there, and it's time for Mr. Tillman to teach a Sunday school class. I have to come into that class and say, you know what? I thank God for Mr. Tillman. He's my teacher today. He's going to teach the word of God. This is not Brian Tillman's word. This is the word of God that he's going to teach. And I better be real serious about thinking, you know what? I better listen Whatever it takes, I better really listen to what's being taught. And I have to believe what's taught because it's the word of God. And then I got to go out of this class and live it because it's not my word. It's not his word. This is the word of the living God. We have to approach the Bible like that. And so we go back to our text, please, if you will. 
Ephesians chapter 3, and let's wrap it up. One more thing about Paul, and we're done. Paul realized that the very heart of the mystery was the fact that it was all based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two key words, gospel and Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, look at verse 6. What is this mystery? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Look at verse 11, if you will, please. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So it's all about, when you think about this mystery of this one body, Jew and Gentiles, it's only possible because of two things. It's possible because of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person and the work. And when you and I give out the gospel, and we try to lead somebody to the Lord, if we don't emphasize that as the main part of the message, then we've missed it all. Oh, true. We have to show them from the Bible that we're all sinners. We have to show them from the Bible that sinners, as sinners, we deserve God's wrath, God's judgment. We have to show them from the Bible that there really is a place called hell. And that's where a person goes if they don't die as a believer in Christ. We have to show them God's love. We have to show them God's provision. We have to tell them how to be saved by believing, by trusting, by repenting of our sin and putting our confidence in Jesus Christ. But at the heart of that whole gospel presentation is, what is the gospel? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And by the way, that's the gospel message. It's about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. So if there is no Son of Man, Son of God, God in human flesh, virgin born, sinless life, substitutional death, by the resurrection, visible ascension, second coming promise, if none of that is true, then we got a major problem. There is no mystery of a church, universal church or a local church. There's no gospel. I went up to 7-Eleven the other night or stopped on the way home to get some gas. Put in my credit card, punched in my zip code there, took, all the, took, all, took the nozzle of the thing off there, whatever it's called, you know, pushed the button, select, and right there, guess what? There was a gospel track. Somebody had brought a gospel track to get gas. He folded it in half real neatly, and he put it right in there so that when you took off the thing, there it was. And I said, you know what, that's pretty nice. I'll take that home and read it. I took it home. I didn't even wait till I got home to read it. I read it in the car before I came home. It really was a good gospel track. I got a little concerned because the whole message was, you're a sinner, God loves you, Jesus died for your sins, and you must believe on him to be saved. And I thought, no, they left out the resurrection again. You can't be saved without knowing it's a living Savior. I thought, oh, man, I thought this was a great track, but they left out part of the gospel. That is part of the gospel, folks. If it's not in there, it, shouldn't be a, it can't be called a gospel track. Amen? But praise the Lord on the other side, right at the end, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus 
and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And I thought, you know what? This qualifies as a gospel track. <laughs> That's part of the gospel. If you leave out the gospel, if you leave out the person and work of Jesus Christ and the whole focus of the gospel, then you don't have a mystery. You don't have a church. And that is so important because look at verse 11. It's, this is all according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is that purpose? The purpose is, folks, that Jesus Christ, the whole purpose of God eternally is that when it's all said and done, all glory is, all glory is going to be given to one person, and he is the Lord Jesus Christ. In closing, please, look at chapter 3, same chapter. Look at the last two verses. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That's the end of chapter 3, same chapter. That's the whole purpose of this mystery of one body in Christ, this church, this universal church, and praise the Lord, local churches. It's all about glorifying Jesus Christ. And by the way, you remember how this book started in chapter 1? Three times in the first 14 verses, we found this phrase, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. And that's why I think Dr. Jim Berg has a video series entitled, Created for His Glory. Because that's what this is all about. And so obviously, you say, well, pastor, you're probably going to end with some kind of application. Exactly. Exactly. Are we glorifying Christ? That's the whole purpose of our salvation. That's the whole purpose of a local church. That's the whole purpose of having a universal church. Why? That everyone, including the angels, might say, whoa, the wisdom of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. Oh, what a God he is. And think about how he pulled this off, if I could use that phrase. He so loved the world that he one day he gave his only begotten son. What did he do? We know from the Bible. Why? Why did God do this? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And they say, what a, what a powerful, loving, just, merciful, good, gracious, faithful God this must be. And what, what a son, Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, the creator of the world, universe, all people coming in likeness of man taking upon our sins, upon himself, and dying in our place, rising again, going back to be with his Father, promising to come again. Oh, that, that brings such glory to Christ. Every time a soul is saved, Jesus Christ is glorified. That's the main reason we all be interested in winning souls, bringing glory to Jesus Christ. That's the whole Bible. That's the whole theme, Christ. That's the whole purpose of God's eternal plan of having this body called the church. Let's pray. Our Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Thank you for this third chapter of Ephesians. There's so much for us to learn here in just these few verses. We're so glad even for the salvation of the Apostle Paul, the one who was called the Apostle of the Gentiles. 
We see in ourselves tonight the result of your word going to those who weren't Jews. As he and others went into all the world and preached the gospel to every creature. Help us to cherish this message. Help us, Father, to be students of your word. To long to read your truth. To know your truth. To live it. To share it with others. A changed life. Changed attitude, changed desires that, Father, are intended to bring glory to Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, please, tonight, if you will. As our pianist tonight plays a verse or two of a gospel song, would you talk with the Lord tonight about what you've heard? Are you willing to live by the question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do and let God choose his plan for you? Would you like to talk to him about that? What is your attitude tonight about the Bible? Do you ever read it? Do you ever study it? Are you memorizing anything? Do you come faithfully when it's taught? Do you try to stay focused in what he has to say, knowing it's truth, and then do you live it and tell others? You want to talk to the Lord about that? What has God entrusted to you? What ability? What talent? What gift? What job? What money? What family? Whatever. Are you managing it faithfully? These are just a few points tonight. As our pianist plays, let's talk with the Lord. If I can help you, please come see me. great song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Can you pray about that? In closing, just sing the first verse together. Think about it. Let's sing it sincerely. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Hold me and make me after thy will. While I am hope that we will see ourselves as a lump of clay in the potter's hands and say, Father, you've made me. You ought to be able to decide what's supposed to happen in my life. Amen. Brother Tillman, would you close in prayer tonight, please? And by the way, after he prays, how about five minutes and we'll have the meeting start in the cafeteria. So if you're going to be involved in that meeting, just kind of head right on over so Tracy can start. Okay, Brother Tillman.